the investor side of things, the Web 3.0, I strongly believe, is going to hit um, buildings because buildings assets are, in real life, are tangible assets that are not uh, fractional ownership is very hard, and Web 3.0 really enables that. Uh, can you sell part of my real estate uh, using blockchain? Data, artificial intelligence, the metaverse, crypto, and Web 3 and quantum computing are just a few of the technology innovations that are changing the way we live, work, and experience the universe. I am your host, Ganesh Padmanabhan, and this is Stories in AI, a podcast where we explore the various facets of technologies like AI, its impact on individuals, organizations, and the society. You will hear from a variety of experts and practitioners, their personal stories, their best practices, and advice to put technology to work. I hope you enjoy this engaging conversations. Now, before we begin, a note about our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Experian, whom you may know as the Consumer Credit Bureau, but they are at heart a data company. When you're buying a car or home, sending your kids to college, or borrowing to grow your business, Experian is most likely helping you behind the scenes. They unlock the power of data to make better decisions, get access to financial services, and to prevent crime, unlocking a whole world of opportunities for individuals and organizations. Find out more at Experian.com. In today's discussion, I speak with Usman Shuja. Usman is the vice president and general manager at Honeywell, and he was their chief commercial officer. And he's got extensive background across startups and Fortune 500 companies and Boston Consulting Group working in putting technology to to practice. And over the last, I would say about uh, almost a decade, he's been involved in trying to automate the industrial machinery around the world by applying AI to those industries. I had a great discussion. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Osman, my dear friend, welcome to Stories in AI. How are you? I'm doing well, uh, Ganesh. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Now it gets even better that I'm talking to you today. (laughs) It's been a while. Uh, So why don't we get started, right? Why don't we get started with your story, your personal story and your background and how you got into what you're doing right now with AI, industrial and smart buildings and the whole nine yards. It is quite interesting. I had no idea it would end up being like this, but uh, my... uh, passion and interest in artificial intelligence uh, dates back to when um, uh, IBM's uh, Deep Blue beat uh, Kasparovich um, back in 1995, 96. And I was a teenager at that time uh, in uh, in high school, uh, got just fascinated by that story. Uh, It captured my imagination. And I don't know why uh, creating the mind of a human expert or, or somebody who could play chess really excited me. And I became a fan of IBM. I became a fan of artificial intelligence. And um, yeah. and it worked subconsciously in my mind. I ended up uh, coming to UT, um, where I, uh, UT Austin, where I majored in computer science and uh, started taking AI graduate level classes. Um, and at that time, it was the winter of AI, so nobody was going into artificial intelligence. Uh, but that 
interest stayed with me. And um, uh, I ended up uh, with IBM after graduation, uh, obviously not in artificial intelligence, but working in um, uh, one of the other enterprise software company uh, products that they had. Uh, and uh, um, I kept building my business and technical background. And uh, when the time was right, I um, ran into a gentleman named Amir Hussain, who was uh, starting an artificial in, in industrial artificial intelligence startup. And um, I wanted to join the journey because that, that spark was there. It just needed some good ignition. And, <clears throat> and that's what exactly it did. Um, um, helped uh, Amir build that uh, unicorn over uh, over the last uh, seven, eight years and uh, learned a lot about software in industrial, software um, in uh, tough environments, um, how artificial intelligence can really change the industrial world. And uh, what I was really interested in is the cyber physical world because it's one thing to do something in consumer and internet but to be able to make an impact in the physical world with software is um, uh, is where the the value is. Uh, I always felt that, uh, that that that's where the value was. And uh, once I did um, the startup gig, uh, I decided to join Honeywell, which is uh, one of the largest industrial uh, companies, and uh, wanted to help them transform themselves into an industrial software company. So it has been uh, a good last 10 years around artificial intelligence and industrial and real estate and so on and so forth and something very close to my heart that's amazing you know a few things one is like you know looking back when you think about when you got excited about ai during the ai winter uh, i i read a um, a quote this morning uh, from our mutual friend manoj saxena uh, he was actually being interviewed at a dell podcast and he talks about saying ai is not a five-year-old technology it's a 500 year old uh, or 500-year technology spectrum, right? So we're just still early in the innings of it. So, I mean, it, like you, I was also getting excited about AI and artificial intelligence back in the 90s. And then it took all this while to for the universe to bring it to so easily accessible form for everybody. So I just thought that was an interesting thing. And to your note on Amir, so Amir was actually on the show. I don't know whether you watched that episode, but uh, we talked a lot about national security and implications there. So he's got all those varied interests in there too. So excited to actually talk to you more about this world of cyber physical existence that we all live in right now, right? It's not just, we're not just online, we're not you know just offline, right? So it's a collective word. What is the, um, you know, what's the big thing that's going on in the industrial world or in this cyber physical world that is warranting all these conversations around you know, artificial intelligence, digital transformation, and the whole nine yards, right? To give us a macro picture, what's happening there? Look, um, there there are a few very macro trends within the industrial world. Uh, one is uh, these industrial assets are being connected. Uh, and once they're connected, the they're producing a lot of data. And they're mm -hmm. producing so much data that... Um, humans will not be able to make sense of it. And even if they can, there's a um, steady decline in experts in, in those spaces, in the industrial space. So you need some software to make sense of uh, the operations, how to optimize them, and to reduce dependencies on human. Second is once they're connected, there's a cybersecurity implication. Can I ask you a question on that? So you said this, you know, we these industrial machinery already existed, 
and I'm kind of poking a a, a, a a hook on the on the logic here, right? But it's just recently started getting connected and generating all this data. Is it because that you don't have enough experts that it becomes important to automate the understanding of that? Or is it just that we are doing a lot more, the production is at an all-time high and so, so forth? Um, it's, it's a bit of both. And uh, also most people, uh, most young graduates, when they're graduating, they're not looking to go into industrial as such. So there's a decline in experts who can make sense of it too. So it's all, it's coming from all three angles. Got it. Got um, it. Okay. So uh, the second is the uh, the cybersecurity implications. When these once these things get connected, there's a big cybersecurity implication. And uh, third is uh, COVID has um, made people realize some uh, challenges that they have to learn to uh, run operations with uh, uh, limited visibility to supply chain, with a bit limited uh, accessibility to a refinery or a or a building or anything of that sort. Mm-hmm. And lastly, um, the uh, the sustainability has bounced back as a very strong um, uh, part of the agenda. And uh, the mm-hmm. industrials have to, have to, I must say, they have to address it. Uh, and this is, this is a time when it's becoming more than marketing and there's something on the investor brochure. So, so with these four trends, um, if you look at um, so software, artificial intelligence has to come in because again, creating human experts need or understanding cybersecurity or to be able to manage things remotely and efficiently during COVID when you don't have full visibility. And uh, lastly, sustainability, how do you reduce your carbon footprint uh, uh, when you have a massive uh, operations is uh, something that I feel artificial intelligence will play in all of them. Interesting. You know, it's, it's, uh, and then we've, the first reason you gave, the first trend that you gave, it's very evident, right? Lack of experts. So artificial intelligence is not just intelligent thing that is automating, but also a way to capture knowledge and then put it back into operations is going to become a lot more critical, right? On the cybersecurity implication, and Amir mentioned that we were talking about in his episode where, you know, the, 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 the um, the battleground today is not just, you know, uh, added deserts and, you know, skies, right? It's actually power plants. It's uh, city infrastructure. It is water. Uh, you know, it's it's the public infrastructure that is in densely populated areas. So um, the cybersecurity a- element is actually, it's the most scary thing when you have everything that's connected. You also expose that to all the good and the bad actors to go do stuff on, right? Um and then on the COVID challenge and sustainability, and I want to dig a little bit deeper later on in the show on sustainability for sure. So talk about this COVID-related uh, challenges that arise that you know probably wasn't as evident or clean earlier. Like you mentioned supply chain visibility, you mentioned you know just the remote work environment, if you will, right? So how people are all distributed now, then not in one physical location. Yeah. So cool. look, um, at this stage of the COVID, we. Uh, we can access um, the sites and it's less acute, but there was a period of time, three to six months where we just, nobody was able to go in and uh, we had to stop production in many cases. So uh, if mm-hmm. companies have realized that they need to be able to manage remotely, remote work was mostly limited to 
to uh, knowledge workers, but that mm. more uh, ability has to come to um, uh, to field workers as well, and not just uh, being able to do things remotely, but the intelligence and the tools and the capabilities, all of that has to come in to into play. And uh, most importantly, you have to be able to run your operations, at least 80-90% of your operations remotely and uh, making sure people are safe in there. The other thing that happened, safety was never an issue for, for knowledge workers, but um, and that thing has showed up on the agenda. People are afraid to go into buildings because the air quality might not be safe, they might not be um, uh, uh, they might carry germs and things like that, right? So the the safety agenda has showed up on the knowledge worker as well. So so there are a bit of uh, changes in how people work, but COVID has really uh, brought brought this to attention. But most importantly, industrial work industrial companies are realizing that they need to be able to run their operations remotely and make their field workers productive remotely as well. Got it. And, and is it, you know, so there's two parts of that, right? And there's like the field workers. One is, you know, having the right tools and elements and, you know, where they can access and get to their work and collaborate and kind of get a close enough environment to their real world. But there's also the industrial automation side, right? You need systems and your manufacturing plants and pieces. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about how is Honeywell looking at it? How is some of your big customers doing this? How are they actually maintaining operations, especially in physical factories when, you know, uh, everybody's mostly uh, working from yeah. home. Look, Honeywell at the core of it is a controls and automation company, right? So that's what we have done um, since pretty much inception. The, the difference now is um, we are able to connect all parts of the, of the value chain and automate that. So previously the, um, let's say life sciences, right? In life sciences, we would be automating the DCS. That's something that we were automating. But now we have a uh, buildings piece. We have uh, MES, which is manufacturing systems, and then uh, quality management system and company that we acquired. We can connect to all of them uh, and um, uh, and automate the whole, uh, most of the process. We can also connect to an ERP. So, so all of these systems are getting connected and it's not just one piece or two pieces of automation that, um, uh, that were traditionally done. Secondly is we're taking a lot of the intelligence into the cloud uh, where customers are comfortable with, where, um, uh, so that, that allows you to uh, a, manage things remotely and do uh, start crunching uh, numbers and doing some intelligent stuff. But we're also able to run things on premise as well as give you remote access through tunneling and to be able to operate uh, remotely. So the two things that are different go back is we have been able to connect and automate the whole value chain or a majority of the Mm -hmm. value chain. And um, second is to provide remote access either via the cloud or through remote tunneling. And that that has enabled significant amount of uh, remote access and automation uh, over a large coverage of the process. Got it. Got it. And I think you know from you know diving deeper into AI, for example, so machine learning and those kind of applications. Where do you see most of that adoption happening within the industrial space? What kind of use cases? What kind of uh, you know target areas are they actually being deployed today? 
It it varies by uh, industry. It varies by uh, the company's maturity, and uh, I think those are the two big variables. But um, look, uh, predictive maintenance uh, still is the holy grail. If you can crack that, um, that 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 helps. That's the biggest capital expense uh, for um, for most industrials. Um, then uh, uh, productivity of knowledge workers is is another one where you could um, uh, how can we transfer knowledge so they can deliver in time in field uh, is a is a very good use case. Uh, cybersecurity is becoming uh, is coming up. Uh, I'm sure we talked about endpoint protection using artificial intelligence, but also doing anomaly detection and finding assets connected. Uh, is a is a big one. Um, then uh, uh, supply chain is um, is a big one. So supply chain and sustainability because of COVID um, are two use cases that um, have emerged very strongly uh, during and since COVID. Uh, in sustainability, for example, we are um, uh, not able to just count your carbon carbon footprint. Most customers don't even know what their carbon footprint looks like, and um, <laughs> let alone reducing it. And uh, we have developed uh, AI algorithms that, which are based on um, uh, uh, working with buildings and refineries to be able to reduce that carbon footprint uh, and not just give you a calculation. So. Uh, so those are a few use cases, um, and as I said, it varies by maturity. It varies by where they are in the journey, mm-hmm. and also by the by the industry itself. Got it. No, I, you know, it's actually it's it's fascinating. Um, oh, sorry, it's 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 fascinating. You say like because there is the uh, and, and I love it when you said it like predictive maintenance is still the holy grail of industrial AI. It's so true, right? I mean, it just so much so much of a, you know. Um, effort and human ma- uh, labor actually, I wouldn't say wasted, but more like spent, expended on taking care of things where they should be actually applied. That same knowledge could be applied to actually doing more new innovations, if you will, right? So uh, definitely a holy grail of it. And you know, and sustainability, I think, you know, that's interesting that you say that it's like ESG is the hottest topic in, in boardrooms these days. And most people, uh, you know, have, have scratched the surface of G and haven't even touched E and S before. So, so to, to your point on carbon footprint, yeah, I mean, I hear that all the time. We talk to uh, senior board members and we're like, we, yeah, they're, we're, they're actually putting together an ESG strategy. Step one is understand how much damage we're doing to the world, right? <laughs> and then you actually put a plan together to get to how do you get to carbon neutral? How do you actually track emissions and how do you actually do something about it? Uh, it's fascinating. I think, you know, do you think this time around this is actually um, a serious effort in people or is it just another, you know, uh, investor watch that's happening right now? Uh, so, look, I'm a big believer in AI, so I'm a bit more optimistic than most people. Uh, but the good thing sure. is that um, AI might not might might be falling short of the promise, but at least it's um, making some progress and giving some value in the industrial world. Uh, mm. So, so there people are uh, using it. People are liking it. They might not like it to an extent um, uh, 
because things might have been overpromised. Uh, I think we've gone through that correction. And now the expectations are set, people understand AI, and the, um, uh, and it's, it is delivering value. In most use cases, it might not be massive uh, value, but it's significant value. So, mm-hmm. so I think it's there to stay. It's going to add, continue to add value and people will continue using it. And as, as the technology matures, as the data becomes accessible, and the biggest problem in industrial is um, data formats and extracting the right set of data. Um, as these things are uh, uh, resolved, the, um, uh, I think uh, AI will add significantly more value. So I think uh, it's mm-hmm. here to stay and it will continue to add value. And there are a lot of success stories already, and, and that's a good thing. And uh, you know, I've personally deployed my uh, fully autonomous um, energy optimizer in hundreds of buildings, and it's working. Um, so people can see it, and um, and they can relate to it. And uh, I think that's the key part that now people can touch and feel it. So. Uh, yeah. I think there's still over-promised, under-delivered phenomena going on, but um, uh, there's um, there are a lot more success stories than in previous uh, iterations of artificial intelligence. So I think this is uh, this is real this time. For sure, I think I I 100% agree as well. I think that this is just the this is still very early in the market. Though that we're going to start seeing a lot more thing as more and more of the building blocks across, like you said, data, the formatting. The time it takes to get the data ready, talent, all of that getting a lot gets a little bit more resolved and democratized as we go through it. It's just going to open up uh, the aperture for doing more things. You talked about buildings and real estate, right? So um, it, it's it, post COVID, and of course also because of social media platforms moving into the metaverse, right? The whole emergence of this whole notion of look, you know, when when human beings are spending more time online than they're going to spend offline. That becomes your office. That becomes your workspace. That becomes your social space, right? So, in in an in a in a world of the metaverse, first, what, what the hell do you think of think of that? Number one, number two, is how does smart buildings, connected buildings, how does all of that play in this new world where it's going to be a cyber physical existence for human beings? Uh, look, uh, um, I think metaverse is uh, is real. Uh, it's ironic, uh, but it, uh, the the younger generation uh, kids in their teens and the early twenties they are spending a lot a lot of time in the digital space. They're buying digital goods. Uh, yeah. the the numbers uh, are staggering for how much the digital assets are being sold for. Uh, yeah, uh, there were more than five billion dollars worth of digital assets sold over uh, over the internet last year alone. So. Yeah. So the the uh, we're talking in the in the real estate world we're talking about hybrid workplace which means um, working half the time from home and working half the time or part of the time in in, a, in an office and I think uh, there's another hybrid thing coming where you're working from home and you're working in the office and some of the people are in uh, in, in a different part of the world country whatever so you you will connect with them in a cyberspace and. Uh, it's still a ways out, but um, but I think that's the direction it might end up. Uh, and so, so I'm a I'm a big believer, and uh, that's the direction the world's moving. Um, Web three point is another one that 
um, that plugs right into it. So all of this has to come together to make it work. Uh, so um, um, again, I'm a technologist. I like to push the limits, and I believe yeah. uh, we are trending in that direction. So, so what what trends do you see on the smart building land, right? I mean, are we going to actually have like you know the obvious answer is collaboration and presence, right? So to be if you're in a conference room and somebody is sitting in I don't know Timbuktu and they're part of the team meeting, like obviously we have first generation of conferencing systems, but just exploring that a little further, right? So that that's one area, but then you know things like you know a, the things that happen in the back end when occupancy rates within the buildings go down, how do you actually optimize for energy, as you said, like energy utilization, because that leads to sustainability goals and so forth and that side too. Um, but what else? Can you give give us some stories on like, you know, what else do we expect in this new hybrid world that you're going to get into? I'm just as fascinated as you are. <laughs> yeah, look, um, the real estate world, um, uh, so until two years ago, I used to think the way you think, right? You are a user of a building and yep. um, that's how you thought about, hey, this is how I want to use yep. a building. But um, the ecosystem of buildings includes an investor, somebody who owns a building. There's also yep. an, um, an operator, somebody who's operating a building. And there's the service technicians who service the building. And then there are occupiers who occupy the building. And then there are occupants. Uh, who come in like you and consumers who come in. So there are four or five different personas in the buildings. And uh, I only thought about the people like myself who would go in and out of the building. How can I collaborate? How can I don't get lost in the building? That kind of stuff. But you you would not believe that uh, today investors who own a building and if they're not operating, they have very limited information about the building. They don't know uh, if something is going to break uh, in their building. They don't know who's coming in, in and out of the building. Uh, they might not know what their carbon footprint is. So there's an operational element to uh, it as well. And uh, um, think of this mental image. Today, every building is managed individually or most of the buildings are managed individually. And, yeah. Right. So if I am Honeywell or Microsoft and I have hundreds and seven, eight hundred buildings globally, I want to be able to manage the global footprint from a Starbucks on my iPad. Today, it's impossible, right? Yep. So uh, to be able to say, look, um, these are the buildings. I have 800 buildings in my portfolio. These are the number of people who came in and out of the building. That's how they use the building. Um, my HVAC is going to go bad. I'm using right lighting. I've optimized the energy to reduce the carbon footprint. This is my carbon footprint. These are the things that are connected. And if cybersecurity implication happens, am I secure or not? All of this can be done remotely. And if something breaks, mm -hmm. I can, just like an Uber, I can um, send out uh, an issue to a contractor close to the building I am. Uh, I have an issue. I can be predictive, so I can schedule something in the future. I can guess, guess, get, get the best cost. I know exactly what's going to break. I know vendors. I can compare them. All of that yep. is, should be doable, but it's not. Yeah, uh, and it's done in pockets. I'm not saying it's not, uh, but it, all of these all of these use cases have been done, but in pockets, not holistically, and that's the mm. um, that's the operational side of it. 
The investor side of things, the Web 3.0, I strongly believe is going to hit um, buildings because buildings assets are in real life are tangible assets that are not uh, fractional ownership is very hard. And Web 3.0 yep. really enables that. Uh, can you sell part of my real estate uh, using blockchain? Right. The other thing that um, real estate doesn't have is the uh, a true system of record um, uh, between operations and uh, and other things. And creating a blockchain based system of record could be a very valuable uh, place to look at. So, um, so even if you take the occupier, the, the people, consumer coming in and out of the building to enhance their experience in the building, which is a massive part of it. There's a um, there's a lot of value in the operation side of the of the real estate, and um, uh, a lot is going to change over the next uh, few few years because this industry was stuck in um, in uh, in a limbo for a long time. But I think this uh, prop tech is pretty hot right now. Yeah, no, it is. It truly is, and I think you're exactly right. Like you know, uh, the the physical buildings and physical world is the ultimate non-fungible asset, if you will, right? <laughs> so if you think about it, it's perfect for NFTs, it's perfect for the Web3 phenomenon, and we're, we're definitely seeing a lot of developer momentum, which is always a great early indicator, people going in and trying to build companies and products in that space. And, and it's, it's, it's what fascinating time to be in the intersection of cyber and physical worlds, right? Because you now get to experience the revolution on one end and the evolution on the other, and how one, you know, kind of this becoming uh, a one, if you will, right? Like cyber-physical world and a cyber-physical existence. Uh, fascinating, fascinating. I want to actually uh, dive a little bit on one of our other favorite topics, which is sports and cricket, which connected us uh, initially. Um, you, you, you have uh, talked about how uh, sports are changing in a post-pandemic era where, like, you know, things are, it's more you have restrictions and it's kind of loosening up a little bit. If you just watch the Super Bowl videos, yeah, you know there's no restrictions anymore. But in general, right, like the use of technology and things like AI to make it safer for fans to also increase revenue and engagement for the brands and so forth, right? You've talked a lot about it. So give us a, uh, your vantage point on what's happening in the world of sports and what opportunities are still largely untapped and presents a huge opportunity. Look, uh the the focus has been in on uh, the in stadium experience a lot, and while that is important to keep fans in coming in safely uh, into the stadium, uh, mm-hmm. most people don't go into the stadium, and the the best touch point they have is through mobile app or through TV. Yep. and fantasy so those are the three major touch points and what i find uh, fascinating is um, uh, metaverse ai um, will really help with the in-stadium experience you can enhance how that experience improves how and can also monetize significantly but uh, but I, I also feel that some um, that there's a massive untapped space that um, uh, that uh, that is outside of the stadium and if your fan base is uh, spread globally and if you're not a big brand like Manchester United sure. or or Chelsea you're not able to tap into the the global fan market 
so as well, right? So cricket is a great example yeah. um, uh, uh, where you know the most of the um, uh, most of the fans could be distributed, and there's not really a good connection to monetize it. And Web 3.0 yeah. uh, is is an avenue to connect to them to uh, also make them feel owners and change the way they experience that uh, product and and the team and the sport, and most importantly, monetize it. So uh, so that I feel is a pretty big one. And then uh, there's some really good examples that uh, some of the teams have used during COVID. Like if they, they would broadcast the game and uh, they can send you stuff to do home gating right, rather than yeah. getting outside the uh, stadium to, to bring that experience uh, digitally. Uh, so I think outside of uh, the stadium is, um, while it's been tapped significantly, I still feel is relatively untapped um, because it's just a massive space and while the consumers and the of the team or the sports are distributed globally it's hard to create a global community and that, that i feel is a is a massive opportunity no it's it's fascinating you know like one i can imagine this whole world where you're watching a game on tv you know i'm sitting here watching the the, the nfl game or a cricket game and I want to get the same, you know, like let's say I'm watching uh, the the um, uh, the uh, the India West Indies uh, game that's happening right right now, the Test series, and I want to actually, I feel like eating jerk chicken because I'm in the Caribbean. I want to eat it, and imagine I can actually select that in the app while I'm actually doing it, and it automates a delivery order through, you know, Uber Eats, and I have jerk chicken, you know, <laughs> ready for me because it's aligned with the fan experience that you want to do in the metaverse world, right? Uh, and my, uh, it's fascinating, you know, cricket, like I haven't, you know, you, you play a lot more often than I, uh, I do these days, but, uh, but I found my new way to play cricket in the metaverse, which is the IB cricket game in Oculus. Uh, and it's actually pretty fascinating. I hear they also have a bat kit, right? There's a home kit where you can actually buy like a, almost looking like a cricket bat that you can use instead of your, you know, Oculus controllers. And that really brings the experience live. And you can, I hear you also have haptic feedback on that, which is even amazing. So I'm like, I told myself, okay, I don't have to ever step on the field anymore. I'll just play it right here in this room or my living room. All my cricket's going to be that way. <laughs> yeah. And look, that going back to outside of the, outside of the stadium, right? This is um, creating a fan or, or engaging a fan um, in, in your living room. Is, uh, yeah. That's a great example. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's awesome. So, um, are you still playing cricket? Are you actively playing there yeah. in Atlanta? No. Trying to stay in shape. No, no, cricket is the ultimate socially distant game, if you will. Yeah. Right? Unlike all the other contact sports that we play. Um, yeah, I, I, I've picked up tennis a little bit during COVID, and that's an ultimate. If you're playing singles, it's a pretty good, uh, very socially distant sport as well. That's uh, true. I'm for that, <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Usman, this has been fascinating. Why don't you give us, what's your advice to organizations in their digital transformation or AI journeys right now? And what should they be doing? What should they not be doing? And how do you navigate the waters? Uh, look, um, uh, whether you're a believer or not, um, I, I think it, my first advice is to be a believer. And uh, these things are very real. 
and they are they can make a significant impact whether it's uh, ai whether it's analytics and uh, um, web 3.0 or anything of that sort these things depending on which technology you're talking about but secondly it's not about technology technologies are enablers and um, uh, most importantly what is the use case and um, uh, and the business model to start thinking about those um, you don't have to come up with uh, new things, things have been tried and tested in different industries. So look at what has worked in one industry or the other one, and that's an easy uh, blueprint to copy or understand. Um, so starting from the business, let's worry about technology, let the technologists focus on it and be the believer and uh, believe in um, the vision that can happen, automation, remote management, sustainable world. All of this is very doable through tech. Um, so that's that's my little message and I uh, hope it resonates with people. It's fascinating. Thanks for spending the time. And I'm sure this that message will resonate with a lot of people. I think gone are the days, you know, right now, AI is um, especially AI, but also pretty much the entire spectrum of technologies available right now. There is enough technologists that, are, that can help you with your journey if you're really committed to doing that. You know, 10 years ago, that wasn't the case, but that's definitely the case now. Uh, what else should I be asking you? What else, uh, what other questions should I be asking you? Hmm. That's a tough one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know what, if I think of, uh, you know, if you think of one too, we'll actually schedule another uh, episode later, later on in the year. And then we can talk about the two. But this has been a fascinating uh, discussion, Osman. Thanks for spending the time with me. Um, and uh, how can the viewers and listeners get in touch with you? How can they, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, I am uh, pretty accessible via LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, okay. and my personal website, uh, osmanshuja.com, or Twitter handle, um, kshuja. Uh, I use and on LinkedIn, if you add me or mention that you've heard this uh, podcast, uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident I would respond. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for spending this time, Osman. This was a blast, and thanks for sharing your insights. No, thank you for having me, and uh, uh, this is a great uh, show, looks like, and a great topic. So thank you for having me. It's been fun. Of course. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, I encourage you to do three things. Number one, share with your friends and family. If someone else can learn from this, get inspired and take action, they need to. Number two, subscribe so you do not miss a single episode. You can do it at your favorite podcast location or at youtube.com. Number three, let me know if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for me or my guests. And check out storiesinai.com to access show notes and more resources. Thank you for listening. See you next time.